If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 8. That's where we're going to be today. Um... I apologize, there's several at home wanting to watch on the internet, but we've had internet issues for about three or four weeks now, and uh, I'm recording them, but I'll, I'll put them on the podcast instead. <laughs> All right, I'll just get up and change them. How about that? All right, so let's start in verses 1 through 11. It says, and ba- backing up to the last verse, it says that everyone went his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery and in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Thus this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted of their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in his midst. And Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are these accu- those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again. Now, in this first little section, these first 11 verses, there's a couple things that I want to point out. One is this is beginning a new phase of Jesus' ministry. So he's going in towards the temple. He is in the temple of the women. And we know that because there's, they are not afraid to bring a woman into the presence here. Now, this doesn't mean women only, but it is a section of the court where the women were allowed to be in, uh, they were able to, to make their donations, their contributions, things like that. They were allowed to socialize. But once they reached a certain court gate, they were no longer allowed to go anywhere further. They had to depend on their husbands or their, uh, their parents, or especially their dad, to take care of whatever matters of sacrifice beyond that area. So this is where Jesus could teach to everybody, Gentiles, Jews, women. He could, he could do that in this section of the temple. So with that being said, uh, he, it's customary for a rabbi to come and sit down and start teaching. So Jesus is, is, is sitting there, or at least kneeling there, 
He's teaching, he's talking, and instead of listening to what he has to say, they find this woman. Now, I don't know if they planned it. You know, this is, I have a lot of questions about this. Some people say, well, she, if she was caught in the very act, you know, then that means that she literally was drugged, maybe without clothes or maybe barely clothed, with signs of her being in an inappropriate situation. So they drag her in and throw her at his feet. And uh, so I, there's some questions that I want answered. Like one is, uh, how did they know this woman was going to be caught in that very act? Did they set her up? You know, did they did they did they set her up because she's a bad woman? And they said, hey, we're going to get him this day. And so they set up an appointment. It's kind of like a sting operation, undercover. Uh, that was maybe a bad reference, but anyways. So they whatever it was. Whatever it was, they decide that they're going to try to get this woman and take her to Jesus. My, another question I have is, uh, how did they know this woman would be in this situation? Like, was she well known as a prostitute? Um, we don't know her story. We don't know how long she had been committing adultery. And then the big question, which everybody wants to know, is where's the dude? Yeah. I mean, they're both guilty of adultery, right? Where's the guy? That's how I think it's a setup. I, th- I don't know where the guy is, but they knew that she would be caught, and they drag her there and say she was caught in the very act. So the where's the guy? He, he gets away with this sin, or if he was punished, it was punished away from Jesus. But they say, you can't, nobody in here could say this woman isn't guilty of a sin. Here she is. And Jesus, with his wonderful, amazing sense of humor, instead of engaging, remember he's teaching. He's in the middle of a speech. He just stoops to the ground and starts drawing in the sand, you know, like a, like a kid at the beach. He's just, you know, drawing. What is he writing? You ever wondered that? Some people think maybe he's writing the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's writing uh, numbers. Maybe he's just doodling. We don't know, but we know that it says twice that he was writing. So he had to be writing something. So he may be in the middle of trying to teach him uh, an object lesson, but whatever it was, he was not going to be interrupted. He keeps, he keeps drawing on, this, on the ground. And the only thing he says is, when they say she's deserving of death, the only thing he says is, you know, whoever doesn't have any sin, cast the first stone. And from the, from the age groups, the men who knew that they had sin walked away first. Uh, arrogant ones waited until the end. But she is the bait to get Jesus to commit to either killing someone, which was within his right in the law, by the way, or to say, oh, let's not do that. We don't want to harm her and show compassion. They knew he was a compassionate guy. So they intentionally did this. What Jesus does is he throws it back to them and say, yeah, sure, she should be stoned. We all agree with that, right? That's the law. So uh, whoever is the least sinner here, why don't you go ahead and start throwing you know, and they, and, and they don't know how to respond to that. They expected Jesus to pick up a stone and say, let's go kill her. Or to say, oh, we should love everybody and be compassionate. And that's not what Jesus does. And so they walk away. The Roman government would allow them to stone someone, but they needed to get permission. You couldn't put somebody to capital punishment or death without permission from the Roman government. And so Jesus would have had to go through the channels, even if he wanted to stone her. And so they could have used that against him. Said, look at him. He's familiar with the Romans and he's... There was really a no-win situation. And so when there's only two doors, Jesus chooses the window. And I mean, that is just so typical of the way Jesus answered accusers. He said, oh, I'll answer your question. Why don't you answer mine? And there's nothing that they could do about this woman. 
they, they were not willing to stone her, even though the law said that they could. Now, and I put some scriptures on here. Leviticus 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy 22, 13 through 14 are the scriptures in the Old Testament that specifically said that someone who is caught, there is evidence or witnesses that they've been caught in adultery, uh, they are to be, to be stoned, they're to be killed. And this woman was deserving of death. Now, the really cool part, too, is when Jesus is standing there alone with her, what does he say? When he sees her all alone. Yeah, where are your accusers? Where are the guys who brought you here? Where where'd they go? Remember, he stooped down on the ground. He's drawing something. So he says, where, where are they at? And she says, there's nobody here. No, no one. Where's the accusers? They're not here. And then Jesus does something uh, that is fantastic, uh, maybe a little bit controversial. As he says, neither do I condemn you. He says, they didn't stone you. I'm not going to stone you either. Go and sin no more. So this is a very light, very light punishment. Is you're guilty. We both know it. I'm not going to condemn you. Just don't do it again. That is extreme compassion. I will guarantee that this woman, her whole life changed after this day. She was careful where she went, who she talked to. She was careful the environment she was in. She'd been accused of something that was death penalty. And she's been forgiven by Jesus. This is, again, a controversial thing the Pharisees did not like about Jesus. Is he would tell people, your sins are forgiven. Well, some of them didn't even ask. This woman didn't ask for her sins to be forgiven. She just wanted to be spared her life. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to spare it now. I'm going to spare it the next. Just don't do it again. Um, so he, he forgives her completely of the mistakes that she's made. Uh, what, what else do you notice here in this little section? Any details that you want to pull out of it? Though that it shows when he asked if anyone among you has sin, that sin is sin. Yeah. Whether it's adultery or if it's lying or right. Had a hard time with understanding why people would pretend to be somebody they're not, you know, or that you would try to punish one person without punishing all people. And I know we do have a tendency to rank sin. We say, well, this, that's a worse sin than this one, you know, and I, I don't, I've never, have you ever heard people say, well, you know, I've never smoked, never drank, never killed nobody, you know, I don't even listen to rock and roll, you know, well, that doesn't matter. This, these things are useless. It's useless information because all sin is sin. And God is the one who determines when the, and it's not just the sin we commit, it's the attitude in which we do it. If we, God hates rebellion. He always has consistently. If you don't, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to turn my back on you. And when you return to me, I'll return to you. Very consistent in scripture. So, so the Lord punishes people that are rebellious. So if, if I'm a sinner and I make mistakes, we're all sinners, but you know what I mean? I make regular mistakes, but I go, Lord, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And I try my best not to do it again. That, that broken and contrite heart is special to God. But if someone who sins and goes, Lord, forgive me, and they just keep on doing it over and over, there's a, a punishment reserved for those that do that. Uh, so it's not just the sin, it's the attitude behind the sin. It's, uh, 
you know, if you get led into something, um, or as somebody might say, mm-hmm. slip, you slip into sin, that's one thing. But if you're blatantly committing sin to violate the commands of God, there's got to be punishment there. So he looks at the heart of man, not just the actions of man. Because there are some people that have absolutely good hearts, but they just make mistakes. And they want to try to do better constantly. Lord, help me. Get me stronger. Help me have you know, the strength to get through this. Um, what else do you see? Anything? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 we ask, I had a professor in college. We, we all you know, started picking his brain, saying, what, what did he do? Like, what, what was he writing? And he said that you know, he thought maybe he was writing out the Ten Commands you know, when it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But um, we don't know. <clears throat> What's really funny is we'll probably get to heaven, and we'll be standing there. I got one question, Jesus. One question. What were you writing on the ground? You know, and he's like, oh, it was just a smiley face. You know, I mean, that, we're, we're like, it's a deep theological question to us. Like, wait, well, we must have been. Like, why I had a word for doodling? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they call them scribblers, scribblers, scribes, the scribble. Um, you know, I noticed it says they just kept, um, what was it now? Yeah, they just kept writing things down. Yeah. Just kept Right. They try to explain yourself. Yeah. Because people are not going to listen if yeah. you try to explain yourself. And that's what I wanted. But they just kept on and on and on and right. on and on. Right. It just. Yeah. And I think probably my favorite part of the story is he completely ignores them. Yeah. He's, do, he's on the sand writing and it says, and he pretended he couldn't hear them. Now that's, that's pretty, I mean, I, I've had those moments where I've tried to ignore my kids, you know, and mama, mama, daddy, 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 mama, mama, you know, and you're just like, ah, uh, and you can imagine they're like going to kill this woman and, you, and you're just sitting there going, you know, I doubt Jesus was whistling, but the fact is he couldn't care less. He was not going to give in. And how many times when people say things around us or do things around us, we just want to shake them, say, you need to listen to me, you know, or if somebody's hurting us. We, we take every word, we, every criticism, every judgment, every harsh word. We're like, oh, everybody hates me. You know, I'm just going to go eat worms. Nobody loves me. And, and that's, not, that's not the truth here. The truth is he loves the woman. He's frustrated with the men. But when people are in an angry rage, there's nothing you can do about it but just calm down. You know, just sit down and watch them, you know, and... Uh, uh, hand them a box of Kleenexes or something, you know. And yeah. But people, when they're in the middle of a pity party or a tantrum, you just kind of have to sit there and wait it out, you know, and uh, get your popcorn. Just watch them, watch them act like fools. And that's what he waits and waits. And then he says, okay, yeah, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. And, of course, it says that from the oldest to the last or to the youngest, um, they walked away. So there's probably some... Buddy there, can you imagine being the last person to walk away from that scene? You know, you, you've drugged this woman here. You got stones to throw them, you know, and, and, and everybody leaves and you go, you know, throw down that last stone. But this woman, I'll bet, became a, a, a devout follower of Jesus because he saved her life. Um, so back then, were the men not punished? Uh, nope. Nope, they were not. 
In fact, if you go back to that passage in Deuteronomy, it has what is done to the woman. So not the man. Now, it doesn't say men weren't punished for doing, committing acts of adultery. But a man, and here's the bad part too, men under the old law had a voice in court. Women didn't. So like if you were accused and somebody, you know how many people were put to death? Then probably were just accused. If you, let's say you, you betrothed to marry some woman and you get ready to go through the ceremony and you look at her and she goes, well, she's not quite as pretty as I'd like. And she doesn't do this right. doesn't do this right. I don't want to really, I don't want to really, um, you know, divorce her. That would be a shame to me. So they could make an accusation. And the only way to refute that would be if the judge chooses to ask the woman. But usually what they did was if the man said she's done it, they killed her. And we, we see that even as early as the, or as late as the 1700s, the Salem witch trials. I can almost guarantee there were women that were killed that were not witches. They were not. They just simply disagreed with men. And they said, well, you're going to die now. And that's, women were treated like property in this day. And that's not fair at all. And that's why Jesus changes the narrative. In Matthew 19, when he's asked about a divorce, he, he says adultery. And he mentions the man who marries the woman. So it puts men and women in the same category. But at this time, uh, men could be stoned, but specifically they wanted the woman stoned. As if that was going to solve the problem. If you kill the women, the men won't do it anymore. That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Yeah. I, I've wondered that too. Wondered if some of these men knew the woman, you know. I mean, even even uh, Simon, remember when he goes to the house and uh, he's eating at the feast, the woman comes in, anoints his feet with all the oil and everything, and they go, "Well, if he knew what kind of a woman she was," and if I were Jesus, I probably would have said, "How do you know, Simon? How do you know what kind of a woman she is? How do you know? How, what do you know she's guilty of?" But but uh, anyways, kind of interesting. You know, kind of like Samson. He hadn't been fooling around what yeah. he wasn't supposed to. He would have right. got in trouble. That's right. That's right. He was. He was yeah. Yeah, that's right. He got blinded too. Yeah. When Jesus said, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone, they obviously were guilty and they knew it. Yeah. Because they had set this situation up some way. Yeah. So they could have thought maybe next he's going to start accusing us. Yeah, so that's a good point. Kind of. Goes a little bit with what Barbara's saying. Maybe some of them standing there when he says he who is without sin. In other words, if any of you here haven't committed any sexual sin, go ahead and throw the stone. And they didn't. I think that's what he, or I assume, I've always assumed that's what he was writing with their sins. And then yeah. he stood up and said, which are ones you cast the first stone, and they just seen their sin written on the ground. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That could be it. That's a great point. Maybe he is listing all their sins. You know? That's, that's a good one. Is there a reason, uh, maybe, that he wrote and then stood up, said that, and then went back down and continued writing? And, yeah. And it made him not take the woman and stone her eye, and he even did that boy stone her. It's like, nah, I'm out. Right. Know? Yeah, and, and every, every age, as we get older, this, our temptations are different. You know, you get to an age where certain things that tempted you as a child no longer tempt you, or as a teenager no longer tempt you. Um, the older we get, the, the sins change. Our temptations change. Uh, we, we're more inclined to do some things we wouldn't have done before. 
You know, I think the older we get, we're not really focusing on uh, certain sins that have temporary happiness because we don't need that anymore. Um, That's a pretty interesting thing to, to get put it back into their hands. Uh, everybody, is there anything else? Did I miss anybody? All right, let's look at verse uh, 12 and 13. We'll go on down through, um, through 30 if we can. It says, The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness... Oh, pardon me, let me back up verse 12. Jesus said to them again, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. You might highlight that and remember John 14. We'll get to it in a few chapters. Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of the two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. So he's still in the area where he had preached to the woman. Verse 21, then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. The Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just as I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They, they did not answer that he spoke to them, uh, to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I, know, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So that's where we are here now, as Jesus is still teaching in this temple situation. He's trying his best to um, just basically teach lessons. And he keeps getting these critics, these people that are really, really hateful. And um, so let's get into a couple of those things about caring for the darkness. Let's go look and see if I had that put Alright, so this is the Festival of Lights. And when Jesus is uh, in during the Festival of Lights, it's Hanukkah or Chanukkah. And so this would have been a region outside the temple. Uh, he could see lights everywhere. They lit a lamp in the temple. They lit lamps in people's homes. It's a fairly new tradition. Uh, it had only happened uh, a couple, not quite 200 years, I don't think, before Jesus was born. But uh, they had a there's a story in the Maccabean, uh, I think it's in First Maccabees, about this uh, revolt. And these individuals stayed in the temple and they had enough oil to light the lamp for eight days. And so these festival of lights, the eight candles, are done yearly to this day even by Jews. 
And so sometimes you'll hear people say Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. And that, that is, uh, that's referencing this event where Jesus happened to be teaching and was near it at the same time. So this area where he's teaching, it's surrounded by porches. So it's kind of like the outer parts of the temple. And so you can imagine as it's getting dark, you could look through the city and see lights. And the, the people have lit their candles. And the second day you have two candles. Third day you have three candles. And he looks at them and he says, I am the light of the world. In other words, you, it, this is illuminating the pathway. And even a small flame, you can light a small flame and you can be a mile away and you can see that flame. You can't make out how big it is, but you can see it. If you've ever uh, been around a brush fire, we, did, we had that a lot in, in southwest Missouri. And you could see it on the horizon. And you would drive and drive for minutes and miles until you finally got to it. But light can reflect. I mean, it, is, it, is, it looks much bigger than it actually is. So every single house in that city, as you looked out, that was Jewish, would have had these candles. And so the lights are you know, dancing on the sidewalks. They're illuminating the sides of houses. They're illuminating the pathways where they walked. And he says, I am the light of the world. And so that would have been a, a man, a really neat little illustration. Um, it also says that uh, he was near the treasury. Okay, so this, this particular region is where on the outside they had these boxes. Uh, I believe there, were, there was a box for each of the tribes. There was a box for the poor. Uh, and so you could go and leave your, your, your tax, temple tax. You could go leave a, an offering. Uh, where you put your tithe, and so each person put their money in the box, and the box would be collected, and they would then weigh it, measure it, figure out you know what was what was uh, donated to the temple treasury. And in fact, they gave a half shekel every time they were there. So Jesus does this with Peter. Remember, previously we studied that um, he told Peter, he said, "You're going to find a coin in the fish's mouth. Take it and pay both our tax." So that would have been one full shekel. So in order to have a a payment, you usually went with someone. Like the two of you went and said, well, half this shekel's mine and half the shekel's his. It's like tearing a $1 bill in half. And uh, that's the way that they did it. And so it was a celebration of giving and sharing and togetherness because you have to have another person with you for the shekel. Or you give the full shekel on behalf of both of us, you know. Um, but anyways, there, there would have been uh, uh, these chests that I mentioned where you would give the donations. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, on the first day of the feast, they would have had four great candelabras in the temple. Uh, they would also talk about not just that light of the sparing of the, those during the Maccabean revolt, but also they would remind themselves of the pillar of fire in the desert that guided them. So these are, anytime there was light, they would use it as illustration. This is why uh, Judaism as a religion, even with the... Uh, the book being, the old law being virtually fulfilled, they still teach, and they don't believe the New Testament. Most of them don't believe the New Testament. But they, they have enough evidence of their, their story that they don't even have to have it in writing. They tell the stories. They recreate the stories. Um, and when a uh, feast was held, usually the patriarch of the family would give some kind of an illustration, a speech, a sermon. And they would talk about different things that related to that particular feast day. And this one was them being led out of the wilderness or through the wilderness by a pillar of fire. And so when they see the fire, it's, oh, I want to remind you about what God did to protect our people. 
Um, he also uses another I am statement when he refers to himself as being someone who is uh, a child of the Father. And he uses the term I am in verse 16 when he says, I am with the Father. And he says, verse 18, I am one who bears witness. And so uh, he's going to, these don't necessarily always uh, qualify as an I am statement. But when you get down to him saying, I am the light of the world, back up in verse 12, uh, he's comparing himself to a light that draws people to it. So you see light, you look, you want to know more about it. And the other thing too is he says that you're going to lift me up like the light. You're going to lift me up and I'm going to draw all men to me. Uh, he will, in other places, refer to the serpent in the wilderness being brought up. And if you looked at the serpent, then you were saved. But the gist of it is he is the one who will save and they are the ones who will lift him up so that he might save. And that is, of course, a clear reference to them lifting him into place on the cross. And he says, if you put me up, you lift me up, I'm going to draw all men to me. Uh, really interesting statement. So they're actually, they're, they're fulfilling prophecy by doing that. What else do you see here in the text? Other thoughts? Yeah. Right. So he's really saying, if you believe not that I am, you should die in your sins. And I think it goes back to Exodus where God, Moses, who should I tell them? Yeah. He says, tell them I am. I think he really is showing who he is. And the translators kind of, when they added that, he, to me, makes it. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of times our translations try to help us understand in grammar. Um, your your phone will do that. In fact, I don't know how many times I do speak to text, and as I'm sending it, it's changing the word, and I'm like, "That's not the word I meant to say." So you um, you can imagine when they're trying to put a book in our language, they want to try to put an emphasis. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't say I'm he. It just says, I am. And uh, that's, there's no Jew that heard that that didn't think about Moses and the burning bush. And so he's comparing himself to Abraham. He's comparing himself to Moses. And another reason why they absolutely hated him, because they didn't want him to be a, a rabbi, let alone a prophet or a messiah. They didn't want him to even teach. Uh, his, his views, this is extreme to say, I am, I am. To use that phrase of yourself, because he is, he's human, you know. And uh, how could he be human and be God at the same time? Uh, another thing, too, is in all of this conversation that he has, he keeps referring to judgment. And he says, I'm not here to judge. Uh, now, in John 3, 16 and 17, we get the sense that there will be a time in which he will judge. So his, his uh, teaching here was meant to prepare them for his death and eventually for judgment day. Um, but he says, I'm not here to judge right now, which goes back to the woman caught in adultery. I'm not here to punish anybody. I'm just here to teach. And uh, they rejected him even though he, you know, wouldn't do it. Yeah. In 28, when he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Mm -hmm. Is he talking about 
Yes, he is. And I think he's talking about the fact that he's going to draw all men. In other words, this is no longer a Jewish stronghold when it comes to religion. You don't have to be a Jew to be saved anymore. So he says, you're going to lift me up and I'll draw all men to me. When you, when you, when you hang me up on that cross, when you, when you kill me, I'm going to draw more people to me than you could ever imagine. Not just Jews, but Gentiles too. And that really, that bothered him. It really did. I don't think they really realized until Peter was teaching them. Yeah. And after the Holy Spirit had descended on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think a lot of the Jews, because number one, they had made up their mind. They just didn't believe it. Right. And nothing you could say would have yeah. changed their mind. Right. But uh, there were those that were in the group when Peter preached the sermon. Mm-hmm. And they were convicted in their hearts. Yep. They realized, uh-oh, <laughs> we've done it now. Yeah, he even says, you pierced him. You know, like, you crucified him. Like, you right. people in that audience right there had been a part of the, the, the caravan to the cross probably mocking him, beating him, spitting upon him. You have to wonder, even with the centurion, with the Roman soldiers, uh, they, you don't, in these days, it's not like you get a break, right? Like, if you're, if you're a soldier, and you go, man, it's, boss, it's past my, it's past my lunch break. I've got to take a break, you know. i got to go. Those guys that are with Jesus in the temple, when he's being scourged, those soldiers, some of them would have been literally lock and step with him all the way to the cross. So those guys who had been with him, watched him beaten, watched him bloodied, that, that guard that was near to him walked with him all the way up to the place of the skull. So those centurions and those, those Roman officials that are at the cross are the same ones who walked him to the cross. There may have been a couple there that helped get everything ready, but for the most part, he had a guard on him at all times. And uh, they did that with all the criminals. And they take them out of prison and they walk them to wherever they were going to be um, per, uh, punished. So this, these, this group of men, I, I have to see this man who says, surely this was the son of God. And surely he was. Wasn't he? And nobody answers. You know, what, 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 is he or not? And so those men, you know, 50 days later, 47 days later, would have been there listening to him preach. He repeatedly in these verses refers to his father, right. doing the will of his father, and the yep. witness of his father. And he's, yeah, yeah. He says, I, his, "My words bear witness to me, but my father also bears witness to me." And and he his goal is it says that uh, when they did good works, they glorified the father. They worshipped Jesus. Some of them did, but for the most part, he kept pushing them to think about the father, the heavenly father. And so his uh, his emphasis is not on himself, but he says, "Hey, if I got to bear witness to myself, I will." And where he goes with this next with his relationship to Abraham is going to really make some people angry because he's going to compare himself in the same age to uh, Abraham. Uh, Let's read uh, 31. We'll read through the end. It says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in a bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, 
but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. Your deeds, you you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, pause. Pause. What did they just say? We're not born of fornication. What is their, what are they, what are they saying? They're saying, Jesus, we know you. And everybody knows your mama was pregnant before she was married. They're making an accusation. Oh, you, you're so high and mighty, Jesus. You think you walked with Abraham? You think, really? Well, let me tell you something. We are born of Abraham, and we were not born in fornication. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? It's not the only time they do it in John, but this one, this one you cannot avoid. They hated it. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, he, look, he doesn't miss a beat. People make an accusation to you. They see something hateful. They've lost the argument because they're trying to make, a, they're trying to make it petty. They're using name calling. If somebody starts calling names, just walk away. But he does not entertain it. He says, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Oh, here we go. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe in me, which, I, which of you convicts me of sin. And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you don't hear because you're not of God. You're a bunch of devil's kids. That's why you're not paying attention. Verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we say, not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Here comes the name, Colin. Jesus answered and said, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know you, are, you have a demon. Abraham's dead and the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who's dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I dishonor myself, my honor's nothing. It is my father who honors me of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But if you, uh, but I do know and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, "You're not yet fifty years old, and you've seen Abraham." Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." 
Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So this is once again, another time Jesus disappears in the crowd. Happens several times, we often miss them, but it's good stuff. So, there's a four-step process to discipleship. You have to first believe in him, going back to verses 23-24. Then you have to study to ensure that if you believe, you've got to have knowledge which is the third one. And then you're only set free after you believe in him, you've studied about him, and you know him personally. So uh, Jesus' conversation with them gets from bad to worse. And um, they say, we've never even seen bondage. You know, we, we've been safe. We, we, we have never had to go through any heartache or anything like that. Well, they're in the Roman occupation. They just tried to get Jesus to stone a woman. And they knew they didn't have the rights to do that under the Roman law. So they're talking out both sides of their mouth. And the bad part is... Uh, Jesus finally says to them what we all wanted him to say. I'm not a liar, but you are. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I know I am. I know I'm not. I'm not. You know, you are. You're, you're the one. And then he, he tells them, if, a liar, by the way, is the son of Satan. So you're all the devil's kids. This is not the only time he does it. Actually, there's a couple times in Matthew, like right towards the end, when he's, uh, he's trying, to, he's trying to, to get to the cross. He has these woes of the Pharisees. And he'll talk about him being a brood of vipers. That, by the way, is a word that, that John uses when he's talking about him too. But there's a lot of meat here to unpack. But the gist of it is, he says, I walked with Abraham. I know, and he, he said, I can't wait to see the day that this happens. And that just, that's unfathomable to them. That he could be eternal. What are your thoughts? Questions? When you read it out like that, yeah. it's amazing how different and when you just read it yourself, you can just visualize yeah. it back and forth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like, sometimes I'll t- I'll, when I teach the teenagers, I'll have one person be a person. Like, you're going to speak the parts of Mary. You're going to speak the parts of But uh, I put emphasis in places. You hear somebody else read, they may not. <laughs> but I see them going back and forth with this little, oh, yeah, well, oh, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, Jesus is like, if you only knew who my daddy was, you'd really be afraid. Uh, but it's like child, childish, but going back to them, saying things about his family, that's pretty low. In fact, um, when we were younger, uh, there was a, there was a, a, you could have a really good laugh or you could get really upset uh, concerning your mama joke, right? So, oh, well, your mama, your mama. Oh, yeah, well, your mama. But if you take it too far, <laughs> there's going to be trouble. And they start with that. So, oh, we're not, we weren't born in fornication. How about you? Ooh. Um, they also knew that Jesus' brothers were not following him. Uh, so there's probably another reason why they're trying to poke him. But Jesus obviously handles it very well. But he repeats over and over and over. You're not listening. You're not paying attention. I know the Father. You don't. You say you're children of Abraham. I say you're not. Because being a child of Abraham was more than just uh, descendancy. It was more than genealogy. It was a state of mind. Because all of us now, according to Galatians, are children of Abraham. Um, Also, it said when they were talking to him, so how could you be able to know Abraham? You know, you're not yet 50 years old. The reason why is when a, uh, uh, a young man turned 30... He was inserted into the priesthood, to the, to the uh, work and service of the temple. When they turned 50, that was retirement age. 
How about that? How'd you like to have, if you're a Levite, you know, you only have really 20 years of working in the temple. So they say, you, you aren't even 50 years old. You, you're in your 30s. And people will say, Jews will say, well, this is proof that Jesus couldn't be a priest. He couldn't be a high priest. Um, they're actually not only questioning Jesus's birth. Now they're questioning his motives. They're questioning his qualifications as to whether or not he could be priest. And if they can discredit him, we, you know, we watch these debates between people. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next one. I know I shouldn't, but I'm really looking forward to it. But there are times that when they get up there on the stage and they start going there back and forth, eventually you're just like, they're just, they're just throwing mud at each other. But they are trying to discredit Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. If they can get the people to doubt in their mind his motives, then maybe they won't follow and when they finally ran out of that, when he raises Lazarus, that was the end. I mean, they just finally say, okay, this is it. Um, what are some other things you noticed in the text? The restraint he exercised. Yeah. I mean, no, he could have destroyed them all. Right. That's pretty... Yeah, I mean, if we had the power Jesus had, those guys would have been dead in a second, you know. We wouldn't have tolerated it. He has extreme patience in the face of persecution. And the bad part is, these guys are following him around. They've got a cohort of people that go everywhere he goes to cause problems. And, you know, it's kind of like, think of it like this. You know, you, I don't know if you ever played with Lincoln Logs or Legos as a kid, and you build something. And here comes the brother. Don't you do it. Don't do it. You stay away, you know. And they knock it down. And then you got to build it again. And then they come in and they knock it down again. That's, that's what's happening here. Jesus is building his ministry. He's beginning to teach. He's telling people what the Bible says. And every time he gets to a point where he's making a really good argument or he's teaching something that needs to be spoken, they come in and try to knock, him, knock it all out. And... Um, I think it's interesting. Jesus says, if you listen to my words, then you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Um, it's like they're bullying him. Yeah. And then he tries to tell them, you know, stop. Yeah. yeah. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I had, Even yeah. his apostle lost patience with the people he was trying yeah. to teach. And he says, why don't you just call fire down <laughs> That's right. heaven? Yeah. Solve this yeah, I mean, they call him a demonic guy. They call him a Samaritan. I mean, they're calling him a half-breed, son of a fornicator. This, I mean, it's a bully. And we would probably have flipped. I mean, yeah, Joe? The one thing that's most amazing to me is how resistant they are to the truth. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not just Jesus' teaching. is that they won't hear him. No. They're not listening. It's interesting, too, that in just previously, they were running their mouths, and he wasn't listening to them either. So, How's it feel? You need a little bit of your own medicine. Most of they shouldn't believe it. I mean, it, the reason it wasn't so much to check them up is they really believed that he was what they said he was. Yeah. They believed it with all their heart. They thought he was evil. He could not, He could not because he didn't come through their schools. He didn't come through their training. This guy, you can't just walk in here and be a teacher. You know, I would, I would, I'll, I'll be honest, I would be resistant to anybody who walked in and said, ah, I'm preaching today. 
No, you're not. We don't know you. Well, you know, I, I come highly recommended. No, uh-uh. I've, I have actually one time, and that's it. We had a guy come up one, Sunday, one Wednesday night, and he said, I really want to offer the invitation tonight. And he said, I got something on my heart. And I should have asked him what he was going to talk about before he got started. And it was, it was tough. It was a tough 15 minutes, you know, sitting there listening. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we need to calm him down, you know. But it's, it would, I would be frustrated no matter what they taught because they'd be like, how can you just walk in here and do this? But surely if they'd have listened to the words, they'd have said he's making sense. He, he, what he's teaching is true. And he repeatedly tells them, if you'll believe the truth, it'll set you free. It, what I'm giving you, uh, what I'm trying to do is make you free. And they're like, oh, we're not enslaved. We're not under bondage. They're missing the point. Yeah. Most of these that were baiting Jesus and what have they were the intellectuals of the day. Right. They knew stuff. And the common people and whatever were not questioning it. Right. It was them. And yeah. so uh, many times I look at that and I, I look at what's going on in our colleges and what have you. Yep. And these are what George Walton is called or pseudo intellectual. <laughs> Yeah. Or pseudo. Pseudo, yeah. But these were the, the common people were supposed to look to them as to what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, All right. That's all we have time for until next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.